Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Chris is on his way to Colorado for his over-the-counter elk seasons. Uh, We just covered an episode uh, talking about a little bit of a rehash or a recap uh, or or some new conclusions on what we were talking about in episode 315. Uh, Chris, I want to cover in this episode, we've had some questions come in. You've answered some questions about this eclipse. Um, and first and foremost, did you get to see the eclipse yourself and what did you think? Uh, yeah, actually it was it's kind of funny. We were, I was back home in Kansas and if you looked at the path of uh, where the eclipse was going, you know, at our house is like 98%, but dang it. Dead center path was just a, you know an hour and a half straight north of me in, in Nebraska. So uh, Kelly and I and, and Jeff, our dog, piled in the vehicle and, and we headed north. And I wanted to get I knew right where I needed to be to be dead smack dab under it, uh, like perfect, like I'm on the line of perfect, you know, perfect totality. But there was a good spot to pull off that was just too good. It was only about three miles south of that, so I was like, good enough. So, yeah, we we pulled in, got the cooler out, and had a little picnic there, and got to watch the whole thing. And I, For those people that are listening that suffered through the traffic, I saw some of the stuff coming out of Wyoming. I saw some of the stuff in Oregon. I'm like, goodness gracious. We, we literally had, like, no traffic. I think we encountered, like, 20 vehicles extra. It was just a smooth sailing to where we were going to be. We pulled off to the side of the road. There was no one else around us. It was, it was perfect. Then we had like no traffic going back, so it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. That's good. And um, did you notice the temperature drop as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could tell it got a little cool. The thing that I thought that really hit me, I mean, obviously, in totality, is pretty darn cool. The, the thing that I thought was curious was it didn't seem like it was a, you know, a linear progression. So, like, as soon as the moon touched the edge of the sun, it didn't start getting dark. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a, a smooth, straight line from bright to dark. It was almost like it wasn't until that moon was, like, half covering the sun that you finally could tell. It was, the intensity of the sun is just incredible. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible how bright it is, even when half of it's covered. Don't, don't you think that's a distance issue, um, you know, how far away the sun and the moon are, that it took a while for it to actually, one, the light to dissipate, and two, the temperature? Well, see, Kelly said the same thing. She's like, well, but it takes time. I'm, yeah, but we're talking about the speed of light. So from the moon to Earth, I, I don't know. I, I This is out of my realm of, of expertise, so someone please feel free to correct me. But from the moon to Earth, it's got to be, I mean, what? couple seconds i mean speed of light is stinking fast you know so yeah. i don't know i i i wouldn't think it'd take that long from the moon to earth now obviously from the sun to earth is going to be one thing but from the moon from the shadow side i i just think it's more of a uh, uh one of those things of you know from our eyesight standpoint you know our 
pupils only get so small. It can only process so much light, and I think the sun just produces so much that I think, from our perception, I, I think there's just so much intensity coming out of that thing. It's not until you cover half of it up that we actually go, oh, wait, something's different. But then, yeah, after that, as soon as it starts getting about that half quarter, you know, third covered, I mean, it, then you can just watch it just get darker, darker, cooler, cooler. Um, it was it was cool. And the, and the other thing that I noticed that I, I kind of took in was the lighting was awesome. Because here we are, we're in, we're in this black shadow, but if you look you know, where we are in Kansas, Nebraska, I mean, you can see the horizon. I mean, the horizon's way out there, miles, just dozens upon dozens of miles off in the horizon. Well, at that distance, now you're looking at a place that's not in shadow. So it was weird how the light was where we were versus off of the distance. It, it's just a, it was a, just a cool effect it was just really cool yeah and i'm glad we went i know you got um a bunch of guys uh sending you emails wanting to know if the eclipse would affect the 2017 fall you know oncoming rut that we have that's imminent um curious your thoughts on that you know i don't know of any i i understand that the idea I, i think people are thinking well because daylight got shorter you know, and they know that daylight is what triggers the, you know, hormone cycling, all that. You know, people are like, well, the daylight got shorter, so that baby is going to kick stuff off. Well, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's going to be true. I don't think that you find any research to suggest that's going to kick anything into gear. Imagine a gigantic, gigantic, gigantic thunderstorm rolling through. I mean, it it's going to cast a shadow over the ground. The duration of that event was just mere minutes, you know. Even if you went from one end to the other end, say two hours, it's too short of a time to really trigger. The, the main trigger is when did the sun hit the horizon in the morning? When did it come up? And when did it go back down? And how much darkness is in relation to how much daylight during the day. So I don't think people need to worry about what the eclipse did. However, most of the people that that contact me are folks that are hunting the high country or hunting some of these, you know, different areas in Colorado, and they were already seeing, you know, big bulls or what they would deem as a herd bull uh, in with a bunch of cows, and, and they're bugling their heads off. They're like, what the heck is going on? This is, this is so stinking early. Well, yeah, you know, I talked about that in the elk module, but, you know, they're rethinking the rut. There's eight videos. I did, And for those people that went, uh, this is several years now, but, you know, if you guys come down to Denver International Sportsman's Expo, the Denver ISE show, I did the couple seminars on that, rethinking the rut. There's, you know, People always talk about, oh, you know, I, I didn't hear a lot of bugling activity or I didn't see a lot of activity, so we must have had a late rut. Well, there's only really one thing that's going to cause a late rut, but what people don't understand, there's a handful of things that actually can pull a cow into estrus early. And depending on what unit you're in and where you are and what the winter was like and the feed, forage, and you know, again, all these things, there's so many things that come into play, but 
there are places in Colorado that, yeah, you can actually have bulls making moves to the cow-calf groups early, and that can actually stimulate those cows to start exhibiting behaviors very similar to the rut, if not pull them physically into an estrus cycle a few days to a week or more earlier than what you know we quote-unquote typically associate here in Colorado. So, yeah, that, it doesn't surprise me that people are seeing the early activity because, like, I, when I just did my observations in, in uh, Colorado here at the beginning of the month, there was a bachelor group of six really gorgeous big bulls. The first day I get there, they're all palling around. Three days into it, there's only three of them left. And by the time I got ready to leave, they were all gone. They were all split up, and I found the last one a half mile up the valley and about a 1,000 or more feet up the mountain, and he was headed to those cow-calf groups, and that's, that was the beginning of August, and his antlers were already you know, pretty darn hard. He had not started rubbing yet, but you could tell it was just a matter of days before that started cracking and peeling and he started cleaning everything off. So, Chris, do you think uh, a bull's age will make him more interested in getting, you know, thinking about the rut earlier or later? Meaning, do you think a bull that's, you know, bred for several years remembers and it triggers in his brain, oh yeah, this is the time this is the only time of year that you know daddy gets to get some. And then maybe some of those younger bulls that haven't bred yet, do you think there's a difference? Or do you think when an elk is older they're like, Yeah, not time yet. I'm not even gonna get worked up. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Uh I do. Um and it and it may be almost a little a little different than your uh interpretation yes i mean yeah if any now there's a there's a whole that's a gigantic discussion about bull hormone cycling antler genesis and the whole you know how they get stimulated and when they want to make that what we call the pre-rut move but let's just talk about the fact that yes you can see two different things on the landscape especially if you spend a lot of time in the summer watching elk above timberline and i say above timberline only because that's where, A, you generally see large groups of, of animals, and, B, you get to see the large group of animals. You can glass out across there a mile, two miles, or whatever, and you can actually lay your eyes on them. They're not just buried in the timber. Again, in August, they're not going to be, might, might not be saying much, but they're still engaging one another, and they're still, you know, uh, interacting with one another. So as long as it's an open enough country where you can sit there and watch them, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's places in Montana and Wyoming that maybe not be above trip, you know, timberline, but it's open country to where you can actually sit there and watch them in those big grassy basins and stuff. So if you sit and watch them, you'll see two different things going on. Number one, those younger age class bulls, a lot of times they're going to be right there in and around. They'll either be in the cow-calf groups or they will be really close to those cow-calf groups. Those younger age class bulls still like to have that safety blanket. They like that social uh, component to being around the cows. They haven't kind of gone completely independent as of yet. So you'll see, and it doesn't matter. I don't even care about what the antler quality looks like. You can have everything from spikes to I've seen, you know, smaller six-by-sixes. They're all still, you know, anywhere from 
year and a half to uh, two and a half year old bulls, maybe even a three and a half year old bull, still floating around those cow calf groups all year round. Now they might be, you know, on the edges of them, but they're still near the cow calf group. And then you got the other flip side of where you have those mature bulls that have, they, you know, they don't, they don't. Not only do they don't need that safety blanket, they don't want it. They, they're going to, they have a completely different survival growth strategy in the summer. So they will separate themselves and go off on their own bachelor groups. But yeah, you get those more mature bulls. Um, you absolutely, and especially if they've had a good, you know, if it's, I'm trying, yeah, if we could dive down this rabbit hole. If they had a very succinct rut the year before, which means the breeding happened in a very short spike, their testosterone dropped quickly, it can trigger them to lose their antlers a little earlier, which allows them to grow their antlers a little faster and earlier, which means they conclude antlers, they finish up earlier, which means it allows them just to really start getting curious. They get a little restless, and they're like, you know what, I know exactly where I should be, because like you said, Daddy knows this, this is the time. And especially in some of these units where you've got an even age class structure of, of your mature bulls, where you might have a, a handful of bulls that, uh, that are going to be up there fine for those cows, you can have some of those bulls make their way to those cow-calf groups early just to start getting in there and laying claim and, and start bonding with some of those cows. Again, the cows are going to be the ones that choose the bull. And if he can get in that group and he can bond with those cows, the cows bond with him, they're not leaving him. And so he ends up getting his cows early. It stimulates him, stimulates the cows, and it can absolutely cause a chain of events that just starts kicking off the activity early. Do you see this year, you know, with people reporting that the elk are bugling early, how much of that do you attribute to people just excited and, you know, out there and wanting it to be a good rut? I mean, you hear it every year, oh, the rut's going to be you know, it's going to be early this year, or it's going to be great, or it's, you know, everyone's optimistic, which is, which is great. It's the way to be, but it, it, it happens when it happens, right? Well, it, it does. I mean, again, there are some environmental factors that can pull and swing that one way or the other. The other thing, too, is, that, you know, granted, there's a lot of people that had the fear that, you know, maybe we're going to have another bad winter last year, and it's really going to hurt the elk, blah, blah, blah. Well, in a lot of our units, might have gotten some snow earlier or whatever, but it really bout where we had a decent, you know, the last half of the winter wasn't that bad, and we actually had a really decent spring, and then we had a really decent, you know, first part of the summer. It's been wet in the, you know, a lot of the places. You know, body condition of the cows is just great. The body condition of the bulls is great. So this year, there's nothing that's going to subdue, uh, cycling in, in, in many of our areas at all. I mean, they're, they're ready to, to cycle in based on photo period as soon as they're ready to go. In years past, however, we might have had either it was a drought cycle or we had a real harsh winter, and so some of the body condition might have been lower on the animals. They were still trying to recoup their, their body fat you know, percentages to where maybe it was a little bit more subdued later into the summer. And there were some places where the animals weren't even able to get into their normal summer ranges to begin with, just because of snow blockages and everything else. So this year, we're back on a cycle where a lot of places, the, uh, the animals were able to get back to their traditional areas. They were able to pack on you know, fat, get recover their body condition very well. 
and they're just they're just waiting for that. Essentially, I mean, that's not how hormones work, but in a sense, they're just sitting there waiting for that photo period to trigger to let them just cycle into estrogen. But you know, like I talked about in that series, you know, if there's a pair of present mature bull, that can pull it. If the if the cow lost her calf, that can pull it. If she synchronized with other cows, that can pull it. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different things that it can actually pull that cow, allow, allow that cow to cycle into estrus a little earlier than, than, say, what normally you see in some places. And here in Colorado, you know, if you talk to the DOW, you know, they say, oh, that last week of September, that beginning of October is where the, the bulk of the breeding happened. Well, yeah, that, that may be in some areas, but, I mean, heck, like I said before, you know, you get the bell-shaped curve. We've I've re- repeatedly have videoed elk, bulls, mounting, successfully breeding cows September 6th, September 3rd. So there's places where they absolutely could cycle in early, if not, you know, the middle of September, even before the fall equinox even happened. Chris, we, um, on the next episode, I want to talk to you about... Uh, do you initiate your calling sequences with cow calls or bugling? And that's a question yeah. that's that's come in, and I think that's something that we should cover. Uh, continue to drive safe and uh, look forward to uh, getting into it on the next episode. Want to encourage the listeners, uh, you can check the show notes uh, to find out more about the sponsors of this podcast, and you can check the show notes uh, to find out about row hunting resources and how to sign up for the elk module. Uh, Chris is offering a discount code using the J. Scott podcast uh, promo code, so to speak, and it gets you 20% off. So it's a whopping 20 bucks, is it not, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah. for the three months, you got a three-month option or you got the annual option. So, yeah, it's either 20 bucks or 40 bucks. So, yeah, it's, it's, not, even, it's, it's not even a pack of broadheads, so it's, it's worth it. Sounds good, buddy. I can't wait to get into it on the next episode with you.